This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Join us for the Going Beyond Simulcast with Priscilla Shire. On September 24th, you can be part of a global event to lift high the name of Jesus. Whether you join us on your own, with friends, or at your church, you'll experience wholehearted teaching straight from God's Word, worship, and prayer to inspire and challenge you to listen for God's voice in your life. So invite your friends, host at your church, or simply watch on your own. All you need is an internet-connected device and an open heart seeking after Him. Learn more at lifeway.com slash GB simulcast. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Heinemann and I'm here with my co-host Kelly King. Hey Kelly. Hey Elizabeth. Well, hey, I think it's probably at that time of the year where people are thinking about back to school and there are there already probably a lot of them are already in school. Yeah. So we're kind of past Labor Day, back into the fall season. So happy fall. It's, uh, it's not official We can say fall, happy fall. We'll, we'll think, will it yeah. into existence. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Well, hey, we're, we're excited to, to be here and we have a special guest with us today, Jason Thacker. So Jason, welcome to the Mark Podcast. Appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and your work in ministry. You've got a lot of things going on. Yeah, just a little bit. My uh, my wife and I have been married for um, almost eight years now. Uh, her name's Dory, and we have two boys. Uh, we have a five-year-old, almost six, and then a four-year-old. Um, they keep us busy, to say the least. <laughs> um, but I am a writer and a researcher, mainly focusing in Christian ethics, and then also kind of specializing in technology issues. And then I also teach at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, as in terms of hobbies and stuff, I'm an avid runner, um, and that's kind of all I have time for at this point. Wow. I mean, that's just a few things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a few. All time consuming things. So that's understandable. Yeah. You have a new book out with B&H, Following Jesus in a Digital Age. So tell us about that and about the Bible study that is with it as well. Yeah. So this is a fun project that um, a couple of years ago I was approached about putting together. I wrote a review of a documentary that some listeners may be familiar with called The Social Dilemma. Mm-hmm. Um, this came out a few years ago. It was on Netflix, and it really kind of stirred a lot of people's imaginations about what technology is, how it's forming and shaping us as people. And I was reviewing that, and from that, I just continually was asked questions about technology, social media, how do we think wisely about it. And I noticed a lot of the conversation surrounding technology came down to like checklists. So here's four ways to transform your life or to fix your habits with social media. And all of those things were good, but I noticed that there was a lot more going on under the hood to say. Um, that there was a lot more about what technology is that we need to know about and how it's forming and shaping us before we get to some of the, you know, ways to fix our habits or to kind of have better practices on social media and things. And so one of the reasons I wanted to write this book and then the corresponding study that comes out later this year was to dive in and say, what does the Bible actually say about technology? 
Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that often when you are asked that question, even when I'm asked, I immediately say, well, I guess not much because I can't find social media, <laughs> right. Twitter, TikTok or whatever in the Bible <laughs> per se. But then you look at it and there are all these kind of ethical principles or principles of discipleship and how we're called to live in with wisdom no matter what we face in, uh, in our society and throughout our lives. And so that's where I started to go, there's actually a lot more here about what the Bible is saying about technology and how we should be thinking about it. Before, as we're kind of navigating a lot of the ways that technology is shaping and forming us that we'll talk about today. Yeah. yeah. I think this is definitely a needed topic. Um, I watched The Social Dilemma and had a lot of friends that watched it too, and um, we talked about it afterwards, and I was like, did everyone else take two pages of notes? And they were yeah. like, what do you mean? <laughs> I was like, I, t- I had to keep pausing it to take notes on like what all this means for us, and yeah. it was it was fascinating to kind of see behind the scenes of – what makes everything work. And um, so, yeah. Well, and and in my personal life, there are people in my family that after watching The Social Dilemma, they actually, like a few of them just got off of social media completely, or they, you know, really have limited what they want. You know, they've, they've really tried to be more conscientious about maybe how it is shaping our lives. So, you know, as you were doing this, Jason, what were some of the things that surprised you about the subject. Yeah, that's one of those things. As often I've seen kind of two main approaches to technology and these kind of big pressing questions. Either kind of this more utopian, like everything's good, look at all of the benefits of technology, look at all the good that it, you know, in our lives, all the connections we can make with people, especially we noticed this throughout the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And even kind of just recently, as we kind of become incredibly busy, we can stay, stay connected with folks, whether it's family, friends, colleagues, uh, former, uh, you know, college roommates or whatever, we can stay connected with folks. And you see all these benefits. And then on the other side, you watch something like The Social Dilemma and you see all these negatives. You yeah. see all the ways that it's uh, shaping and forming us, not in good ways and not in good, uh, good habits per se, but in really negative ways, whether it's increased kind of polarization or tensions throughout our society. It's always us versus them. Or especially one of the things that I've seen of, in the last few years is kind of a rise in what people say is misinformation mm-hmm. or disinformation or kind of popularly known as fake news. And starting to think of, well, what is about technology that makes that easier to promote or makes that easier to believe in this kind of fake news and things like that? And is fake news truly fake news or is it maybe just because I disagree with it? Because you see both sides seemingly claiming that there's all this misinformation and disinformation. Is there a real truth? Is there a settled reality in that sense? And then even a lot of just the ways we approach how to navigate these things. I think we often start to treat other people and say, well, it's the government or it's those people over there or it's the technology companies. They need to fix this. Mm-hmm. And all of that, there's good, healthy conversations that need to happen on those fronts. But as Christians, when we think about how do we follow Jesus wisely and biblically in this digital age, I think we need to step back and start to ask some of these big questions about the nature of truth, the nature of our responsibility, and also our identity in the digital age that's being shaped and formed as we're using these technologies. Yeah, and that leads perfectly into the next question that we have for you, because a topic we hear a lot about in women's ministry especially is Instagram and how it is shaping identity. And you talk in your book about identity in a polarized society and about the separation of like our online personas and then the real life 
personas. So what is the danger in that? And then maybe what are some guardrails that we can put in our lives to make sure that our identities are found in Christ and not in our online presence? Yeah. I think one of the things about the kind of digital age that we need to step back and think deeply about is it how how technology is forming and shaping us. But to start to ask some of those questions, we have to slow down. I think in the midst of kind of social media, in the midst of our society today, we see technology kind of encouraging us to go faster, faster, faster. We have to be more connected. We need to make things more efficient, per se. But by slowing down and asking some of these hard questions, we can start to understand what is technology. Well, I don't think technology is just a simple tool that we can use for good and bad. It's, it's a lot more than that. It's something kind of more part of our culture. It's, it's forming and shaping us. It's uh, it's as we see about in Romans one and, or Romans 12, 1 and 2, about how we're to be transformed into the image of Christ, not to be conformed to this world. And the reality is, is that technology is one of the main disciplers of our families, of ourselves, and even of our churches, mm-hmm. uh, because we are constantly connected to our devices. I know there's this like low level of anxiety that some listeners may agree with me on, where I don't know where my phone is. Yeah. And so, so much even so, it's always with me about a foot or two. And I always joke, you can't talk about Siri because all of a sudden these devices start lighting up all around us and say, what did you get? I missed that. And it's, we are constantly surrounded by technology, but we've often not slowed down to ask some of those hard questions. And I think one of the big questions is if technology is much more than a tool, it's something that's forming and shaping us in particular ways what is it doing to how we how we think about ourselves so i'll talk about throughout the book how technology is changing how we view god and understand who he is i think another big question is who we are as human beings and what does it mean to be human and then also kind of the way we view our neighbors and the world around us and i think kind of instagram and these ideas of identity really hit home when you start to think about well what are we because you can start to get into these ideas of this online me or and then the real life or sometimes I'll hear people joke about it in church sometimes well he's a lot nicer in real life you know the way he talks online is not really who he is but if you step back and think about that it's it should be pretty convicting are we portraying ourselves in a different light or in a particular way online to whether it's to curry favor, to gain influence and platform, or to fit in with some type of tribe so that we can identify whose tribe we're on. I notice, especially when news, breaking news happens, we see this immediately. Almost everyone immediately has some type of deep insight on what just happened, whether they're an expert or not, <laughs> um, on what just happened. And it's almost immediately they kind of go back to not just politically partisan, but just kind of these talking points mm-hmm. that they just kind of have ready to go. And it's, what are they doing? Well, in some sense, we're identifying with other people. We want to say, these are our people, and we're not them type of thing. And we start to kind of create these online personas or these online realities of who we are and not portraying who we truly are. And so I think that divide is something that's really interesting that we see in the digital age. And it's something as Christians is really kind of, uh, anti-gospel in some sense is that we are to be the same person online as we are in real life because all of it's real life yeah. the things we do online matter to our real lives and matter to our families and we should be people who are modeling Christ and seeking to model wisdom in every interaction whether it's online or in person yeah. and even what you said Jason when as I'm thinking through identity like it's not uncommon for me 
to hear from teenagers that they have like two Instagram accounts. You know, maybe it's the real one and maybe there's kind of a fake Instagram account that they that they have on the side that's a little different, um, which I think kind of goes to my next question is that a lot of our listeners are moms and they are really nervous about technology for not just their use, but their kids. So help us as parents, like how do we navigate this kind of overwhelming digital world? Yeah, I've noticed that I have, yeah, I have a number of friends who, whether it's Twitter, or t- Twittergram, that'd be an interesting platform, <laughs> whether it's Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, Facebook's a little harder to do this on, but a lot of people yeah. have like, um, kind of ghost accounts or they have these side accounts that they use to be able to look at things, but then they kind of have these um, influencer accounts or they have their real person. Like I have a a fake Twitter account that I kind of go and kind of, uh, I don't interact Mm -hmm. with people, but I just kind of watch what's going on. It is really interesting kind of some of the reasons why that's happening, but it's really interesting. I think as as you raise questions about kind of kids, because naturally as a parent, I'm already starting to think of, we only have a five and a four-year-old. Granted, they're not gonna be touching social media for a very long time. But as we start to think through like, you know, when they're eight and nine and 10 years old, they're starting to ask these things. One, why? Because all their friends have phones. All their friends are starting to have these uh, Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts and and even TikTok accounts for that matter. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting too, because sometimes parents have already kind of locked in these accounts for their kids. Early on that, you know, their kid already has an account or their dog already has an account example. And so it's really, it's interesting to me that this is a world in which our kids are what a lot of people will call digital natives. So for us, I, I grew up in a time I was surrounded by technology. My dad worked for a Fortune 500 tech company when I was a kid. Um, and then throughout kind of seminary training and everything like that, I was very familiar with technology but it was new to me. Like I remember jump getting on social media the first time. I remember having a computer with internet in the home for the first time. Um, our kids won't. This is the world they're kind of growing up in. It's very normal. I mean, my kids even say, I wanna watch YouTube and I wanna watch this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Like that idea of not only on demand, but a particular kind of social media platform in terms of YouTube, they have certain things they wanna watch and this is kind of the world they inhabit. So it's gonna be very normal for them. And so I think as we're starting to think through how to raise kids in a digital age, a lot of the advice I have for parents, especially for moms, is the same advice I have for the rest of us, um, which is as, as people of Christ, as we're seeking to model wisdom and to navigate a lot of the challenges before us with biblical wisdom, is to slow down. I mean, that's one of the main ways that technology is forming and shaping us is causing us to go faster, faster, faster. We have to be more connected. We have to be busier. We have to be always connected. We have to have breaking news. We have to know everything that's going on the moment it happens. But that creates this kind of frenetic kind of anxiety-ridden lifestyle where we're always kind of waiting for the next big thing. And so by slowing down, we can start to not only think wisely and more biblically about these problems before us, but then also in terms of kids, and this is good for us as well, you don't have to be on every platform. Yeah. You don't have to have every, every device. You don't have to have the newest apps and all of these different gadgets. And that might sound oppressive to some. I know some, I've had some friends that they're kids will say, you know, I have to have an iPhone. And you're like, no, you actually don't. And you won't have one for a few years. And they act like the world is ending. Well, 
why? It's because they're growing up in an environment and a culture where everyone does have it. And they actually do feel probably disconnected. They probably do feel like they're not going to be able to have the same type of relationships with folks. But I think setting the tone for how we use social media, how we use technology, not just in the home, um, but kind of more broadly, as they see their parents having wiser, wise boundaries and navigating some of these things better, you know, hopefully that creates these kind of conversations with our kids. I think another way that we can do that is to learn uh, these new technologies with them. I think often we kind of just hand new devices, whether it's a VR headset or a new social media app or a phone over to our kids, and then we all isolate. You know, have you ever, there's a really famous uh, photographer uh, from a few years ago that filmed, uh, that photographed all of these people in daily environment, whether it was at the soccer game or laying in bed or laying on the couch or whatever. And, but he photoshopped out all of the phones. And so what was interesting is you see all these people, their faces are lit up and they're looking at their hands amongst all these other people around them, whether it's husband and wives or church and community, but they're just looking at their hands. And it was incredibly convicting to me to say, I bet not only do is that convicting in the sense of I am always on my device, but then when you think about my kids is they grew up looking at daddy just standing somewhere randomly, just staring at his phone all the time. Yeah. And it kind of makes us feel like we like we miss out what's happening with other people. Like we're yeah. not engaging with the world, which I feel like that's a gospel issue. Mm-hmm. Like we're not. Like we're not looking at people in their eyes. I, I was actually um, last week at, in Colorado and our family was at this place and I was busy taking pictures of my family and my grandkids and I totally missed this couple and they were looking at me and then we looked at each other and it was a, a young lady that I had discipled as a teenager <laughs> and I hadn't seen her in years so I wasn't expecting to see her but I thought I could have totally missed her If I was just looking at my phone. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point because, and the thing is, is a lot of the questions that we're facing today with technology aren't that new. I mean, you think of years ago, everyone, there was an old picture of all these people with newspapers in front of their faces on a plane or riding a train or something. So it's not new per se, all of the kind of challenges we're facing in the digital age, but they're kind of amped up. Um, we have more access to information than we have ever had. We have bigger questions before us because they feel like they're always with us and we're always connected and we're always distracted or looking at our phones. But I, I like to say that technology, especially social media, doesn't really cause us to ask new questions, new ethical questions or discipleship questions per se, but to ask a lot of the age-old questions of sin and vice and pride and all of these kind of things that we've always dealt with, whether it's polarization or misinformation and fake news, in light of all these new opportunities. And so technology has kind of opened up a, a brand new world for us. And so a lot of times I think slowing down and asking some of these bigger questions about what technology is and how is it forming and shaping us in particular right now um, is one of the ways that a true mark of the Christian and true mark of wisdom as we seek to move forward in a digital age. Okay, so as you were talking about that, that even leads us into what we wanted to talk about next. And that's so we kind of get a little challenged, a little discouraged sometimes. And sometimes we even see it as scary or even is this just evil? Is this sin? And I think this brings up that ethical question, like how do we as believers, what do we say to believers that, you know, maybe is it's not a sin, but 
there it could be there could be sin i guess you know depending on how you look at it but how how do you talk to people about that yeah i mean first and foremost and we can get into kind of digging into some of the details on that question but i'd say first and foremost we're people of hope I mean, Christians are a people of hope. We should be some of the most joyful people um, in our society and in our churches and our families. And the reason I say that is and that— And on I, Twitter, I, think, I would say. Exactly. <laughs> but often we're not. And you start to ask, well, why? What's going on here where we're not hopeful and joyful people? And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we don't take issues seriously. That doesn't negate the fact that there's brokenness and sin in our lives and there's sicknesses and death. And it doesn't mean you always have to be happy, per se. But you're, you do have a hope, like this resolute, steadfast hope that we read about in the, in the Psalms. What, and why do we have hope? It's because we already know the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So when we're facing with all of these kind of technology questions and social media and kind of the this anxiety and stresses and pressures of the day, we have hope because we already know the end of the story. We already know who won the victory. We know who's sitting on the cro- are sitting on the throne, and that's Jesus Christ. I mean, this is Revelation twenty one and twenty and twenty one that all the nations are going to be gathered around the throne of God, saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is yet to come." He's already won the victory. The hope is already secure. The story is already written. We know the end. And so from that place of hope, we can then engage a lot of these pressing questions because if we start to think about what technology is, I think a lot of people say, well, it's it's a tool, so it's either a good tool or a bad tool, or it's a tool, so it's not really good or bad. It's just the way we use it. And I actually think technology is a lot more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. It's as we talked about earlier, it's kind of the culture in which we inhabit. It's not it's much more than just your iPhone. It's much more than just your computer. We live in a technological age. We live in a society that is completely digitized. I mean, from the plumber's truck down the street that has, you know, Instagram, Facebook and uh, Twitter accounts on it. Um, to I know just recently we got an SUV that has Sirius XM radio and my wife was on there and she's like looking through all the stations and found TikTok radio which is all of the the songs that are really big on TikTok right now they have a whole radio station dedicated to it so even if we start to get away from technology we can't completely disconnect that way I have a friend that always talks about his his grandmother who lives in a nursing home, and she's never picked up a computer. She's never had a social media account. She doesn't even have a phone. Mm-hmm. She just is, doesn't like technology per se. Yeah. And he always he starts to tell me about how she is completely kind of being shaped by what's on Facebook. And I said, how is that possible? And he said, because when she goes out into kind of the, the big gathering area outside where all of the, the men and women will come together and eat together and play games and things like that together, her friends will say, you know, hey, did you see what was on Facebook today? Mm-hmm. And they'll start to share those things. So even if she's completely disconnected personally, socially, she's still very much connected and being shaped and formed by technology. And so... I think a lot of times when we approach questions of digital technology, social media, et cetera, it's easier it's easy to say, well, all look at all the good or look at all the bad and how dangerous and battle we just need this is downright evil, we need to get away from it. Is a Christian approach is actually pretty balanced to say, no, there are good things that come from the digital age. These are good gifts mm-hmm. that God has given us to glorify him, to honor him, to connect and to love other people as ourselves. But in the same respect, these things can be used to dishonor God or to dishonor our neighbor or to treat them as less than they really are as an image bearer of Christ. 
And so I think for ours is a much more balanced perspective. And that's really the thrust of wisdom. And that's really you see you'll see throughout the book is talking about the nature of wisdom. Well, the reason we were given wisdom, the wisdom literature per se specifically was um, Israel was facing a really tough kind of social and ethical challenges around them. It was very chaotic society. And the wisdom reminded them of the truth of who God is, what he says about us, how he's called us to live, and then also how we're to respond to one another, how we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. And that's really at the core of discipleship, which is really just the nature of ethics. Ethics isn't some kind of weird kind of esoteric discipline that's off to the side where it's really disconnected from our daily lives. Ethics is discipleship. Ethics is how we're called to live in light of the reality of who God is, how he made us in his image, and the way he's made the world around us. And so I think from that place of hope and peace and security rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can then engage kind of the challenges before us with eyes wide open, slowing down and realizing what's really going on with technology and how it's forming and shaping us. Yeah, that's that's so good. And that kind of leads us into our next question. Whenever I, we talk about digital age, I always think about Acts 17, mm-hmm. where Paul goes to Athens to teach. And in verse 21, it says that the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new, which just sounds exactly like <laughs> social media to me. Yeah. And then in verse 26, Paul tells the Athenians that God has determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they live. So our sovereign God has determined that we, on this podcast, y'all listening to the podcast, we live in a time of a digital age. We live right now where there is TikTok and Twitter and Facebook and all the things. So what are some ways that we can leverage our time here to do what you said, love your neighbor, love God, um, and to use that? as a where the world is always constantly wanting to hear and tell something new how can we use that for Christ likeness and for that mission to make disciples yeah and before we get to kind of the second part of that question i think you're exactly right is that we live in an infor- a day of kind of information overload mm-hmm. we are inundated kind of overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information i always joke with my students and telling them you have more access to information right now in this very moment on your phone than some of the greatest scholars and church leaders in the history of the church ever had in their entire lifetime. And there's some benefits to that. Uh, Not only does it make writing a paper uh, for my (laughs) class a lot quicker and easier, not only does it make reading our Bible maybe easier, we have access to things like, I don't really understand that word. This verse was really hard for me to understand. Let me pull up a commentary real quick. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a lot more convenient than either having to go over to your shelf or saying, I don't know what commentary to use or I don't have any of these type of books. So we have more access to information than we've ever had. But I think sometimes we also have as uh, the mo- the least amount of wisdom in some sense that we've ever had as well. We're overloaded. Uh, yeah. There's a figure that I write about in the book. His name's Neil Postman. Yeah. And he talks about this in terms of, he's talk- writing this in the late 80s. So he's talking about kind of the rise of cable news. And he talks about this um, in terms of watching the news. And you see these newscasters, they'll say, they're talking about a story, something devastating has happened around the world. And then in about 30 seconds, they'll say, and now this. And it's the latest sports score or the good feel good news story that happened down the street or the new election that's coming up. And about every 30 seconds, we're jumping story to story to story. Right. And he's saying, 
what is that doing to us? Now, this is the late 80s. This is well before mm-hmm, social yeah. media. Mm-hmm. And so I think if Postman was still alive, he would probably be even more kind of concerned about this because 30 seconds seems like a luxury yeah. uh, in some sense because we're jumping story to story to story in milliseconds as fast as our thumbs can go. And um, it's often like tragedy, 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 which exactly. is a whole other uh, set of issues that it's, and especially in the midst of that yeah there's yeah. this sense of like doom scrolling mm-hmm. uh that where you're you know you're overwhelmed by life so what do you do well i'm gonna pick up my phone for a few minutes to you know to de-stress and what does it do it actually makes me more stressed and anxious right, right. because i'm constantly being kind of overwhelmed with all this information whether it's bad news whether it's good news or, but we're having our mind shaped and formed in those ways And so I think some of the practical things we can do and the ways we can model what it looks like to live in Christ-like wisdom, not only for in our churches and our families, but even kind of in our communities and with our neighbors, is to do what we've said a couple times. And it sounds really trite and it sounds simple and I get it, but slowing down Mm -hmm. and practicing the habits of cultivating deep work and deep thought on things. I mean, one of the most countercultural things we can do is simply reading our Bible. And I, I, I'm one who likes digital Bibles, but I prefer a print Bible one. Why? Because I'm not getting messages and notifications yeah. in the middle of it. I'm not tempted to look up that word. I just have to read it and to slow down and to force myself into saying, no, for this 10-minute block, you're going to turn off your phone. One of the things that I've done in my family and that I've done specifically in my personal life, so be, so listeners don't think that I'm above all of this mm-hmm. and I've got it all figured out, I really struggle with kind of how I portray myself on social media, but also the amount of time that I use on these apps and kind of in many ways waste on a lot of these apps. One of the things that I've done is a real practical thing is I use the screen type features on my phone. Yes. And I have an Apple iPhone. I do iPhone. the same thing, yeah. I have it set up and it, some people look at my phone and they're like, are you, are you like a child? Because my wife <laughs> has the passcode. And I, I not only, you know, the b- standard things that I think everyone should do is just the tick, uh, there's a little checkbox of uh, limiting adult content. There's no reason that way you don't ever mm-hmm. stumble across something. It's just gonna filter it out. So there's that. Now it's not perfect by any means, but it's better than nothing. But one of the main things I use is this feature called downtime. Yeah. So from about 8.30 every night, and I'm probably going to change this pretty soon uh, to increase the time that I have downtime. But from 8.30 to 7 a.m., so 8.30 at night to 7 a.m., my phone turns into a brick. Yeah. It literally can't get on the Internet, and it can't uh, – I can't get on social media. That helps me in my writing. That helps me in my work and my schoolwork and things like that um, in teaching. But also it helps me to connect with my wife or to actually be with my kids. Yeah. And then also when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I don't grab is my phone to look at, you know, the latest, you know, whatever's on Twitter or TikTok or Instagram or whatever that email is. It keeps me off the device a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's helping to create these better habits that aren't going to form overnight. I think mm-hmm. a lot of times we think whether I just need a checklist or here's five tips to kind of write your relationship with technology. And some of those things are probably helpful and good, but it treats technology as if it's this thing to be solved and managed rather than something to be kind of thinking about deeply and cultivating better habits. Because our mm-hmm. habits with technology, specifically social media, weren't formed overnight. 
Right. Uh, this wasn't like, a, oh, we got app and the next day we're always glued to it. No, it was something that was a slow process of building these habits. So if we're going to be talking about building wise habits, biblically wise habits, they're not going to be gained overnight either. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take practicing. It's going to be cultivating that wisdom and that virtue. And so whether it's through downtime or limiting certain types of content, I also have a time limit on social media, which I think I need to lower um, because I know there's this kind of low-level anxiety that I feel most most days um, and kind of naturally being drawn to my device. But it's about two hours a day, and that's all I get on social media for the whole day. Now, for some, you're thinking, wow, that's a lot of time. And then others are thinking, I don't know how – that's not a lot of time at all. Yeah. Uh, that's a few t- breaks throughout the day to scroll through it and look before when you wake up and when you go to bed. I mean, you yeah. can run out of two hours very quickly. Yeah, but I've I noticed when I up. hit that time limit. Oh, what were we saying? Oh, I was just going to say I have that set up too. And you can override it yeah. um, if you have the passcode. But it just helps me even even if I do choose to override it for whatever reason, like somebody sent me something and I've yeah. already used the time or whatever, it at least helps me to acknowledge like I've already spent – this much time on here today Mm -hmm. so that way I just kind of know and you can also like override it for just a few minutes or something like that but Mm -hmm. and I also wanted to say for the people who may be like me and need some apps on their phone to always be available for safety purposes you can select um, which ones on the do not disturb or the downtime settings um, because there were some that I was like I can't not get yeah. like weather alerts or whatever if this is yeah happening. i particularly did so, it on social media yeah, apps yeah because uh, that was helping me and then on also for me i didn't have the willpower uh to go oh i can just override it i'll just do it one or two times yeah. type of thing i was always overriding so i just gave the, my wife has the passcode yeah and what yeah. that did is, you know, I don't want to have to go to her and say, hey, babe, can you override this again? Because she right. looks at me like, what is so important that you can't just sit here and talk to us? <laughs> yes. Type thing. So it, it built in some accountability. I think that's what we need yeah. in our families. Yeah. Not only between mom and dad, not only between our kids. I've noticed with my kids also to say, you know what, guys, and they're super young. You know, daddy was really distracted. I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put my phone down. Well, what am I doing? I'm acknowledging, also one, that I'm not perfect that I am a sinner just like they are. But I'm also saying, look, look, your dad struggles in this area and you are probably going to as well. But if they see us modeling those habits and not kind of upending the house rules all the time, I think that that also kind of helps build trust and kind of develop better relationships with our kids where they start to realize like, hey, we're in this together. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you brought up this as habits. I've I've been reading a couple of books on habits, um, and it has just been fascinating, the similarities. One is a secular business book, and one is from a biblical worldview. And very much, there's a lot of things that are similar. But in the biblical worldview book that I've been reading, it really boils down to Mm self-control. And he talks a lot about the fruit of, you know, like that part of the fruit of the spirit. And we just, it has really struck me that we don't talk about self-control a lot. We Um, really don't. (laughs) We like to dwell on the like kindness and goodness, (laughs) but then, yeah, you get on down the list and we don't, we don't think as much about self-control. Yeah. just the importance of like, and you said it so eloquently, Jason, just those habits don't happen overnight. They're just little bitty things that just build up. And how do we, how do we make better choices? And I I know for me, I don't have any notifications set up on my phone uh, just because that 
doesn't distract me. I don't hear it going off or a buzz on my, you know, on my watch or whatever. Um, so that's one thing that helps me a lot as well, too, is just having notifications turned off. Yeah, yeah I think that's a huge thing. I, I did that a long time ago, honestly, mm -hmm. just turning off. I hate the little red badges on my phone mm -hmm. um, as well. I can't stand. I have friends who have hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. of text messages that yeah. they have never read yeah. or emails that they haven't deleted. Yeah. And I can't do that. But personally, but I also turn I turned off all the notifications. That's helped a lot. But it kind of comes back to not just that idea of self-control, but really the fruits of the spirit. I mean, you go back mm -hmm. to like Galatians five and you read it and you're like, oh, man, that I don't have. You know, I'm I'm struggling in a lot of these areas and these mm -hmm. cultivating these virtues and these habits and that's where i always come back to romans 12 1 and 2 is mm -hmm. not to be conformed to this world but to be transformed in the renewal of our mind and being ultimately transformed into the image of christ himself and so that's discipleship as a process that takes wisdom and that this is the digital age in which we inhabit and so we don't have to reject all technology we can utilize the good aspects of it we can use it to love god and love our neighbor but in the same respect we can realize you know there are bad habits there are bad uh, kind of um in, in in sorry there's bad kind of um ways that we've used these things or bad habits that we've formed or they've created these kind of uh, bad environments in which we inhabit. And so we can think about not that the technology itself is good or bad or neutral per se, but it is forming and shaping us in particular ways. And so as Christians, when we're facing kind of the things as we're walking through this digital age and seeking to walk with wisdom, we can step back and realize what technology really is, how is it forming and shaping us, and then start to cultivate better habits um, as we start to model really those fruits of the spirit that we read about as modeling self-control and grace and patience and mm -hmm. loving kindness. And ultimately, this kind of sums up. This is what Matthew or Jesus says in Matthew 22 is the really the sum of the entire law, really the sum of the Christian ethic and the, the sum of what it means to be a disciple is to what? Love the Lord our God with of our heart, mind, soul and strength and to love our neighbors ourselves. That is the summation of the entire Christian ethic, the entire way God has called us to live. And so when that's, I think, the big question we can start to ask is, is this causing me to, to love God and to love my neighbor better? Or is it causing me to be more distracted or more polarized or uh, start to create this kind of tensions between us versus them or start to treat my neighbors as less than they really are? I think that's really the kind of prime question we need to be asking. Are we loving God and loving our neighbor ourselves? Yeah. And I think we often, as Christians who think about this, want to just be like, no, no social media will ever help me love God and my neighbor more. But yeah. we've talked about, like, there are some aspects of social media and technology that do actually make it easier mm -hmm. um, or open us up to more neighbors um, that we can actually have a relationship with. And yeah. so I think we do need to be careful when we talk about this. And you've done a great job of that here on the podcast and in your book, too. But just like, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, mm -hmm. we, mm -hmm. there are some ways that we can use this to love God more and to love our neighbors more. So, yeah. um, that's, this has all been very helpful. Um, and I know our listeners are going to love just some of these practical tips, but also just thinking about it in that light is so helpful, um, because it, it is much more complicated than just, is it good or bad? Do I just delete everything or stay on everything? You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. a very nuanced conversation, exactly. but the one question that we always ask um, on every podcast, because this is the Marked Podcast, is what is one thing that has marked you in your walk with Christ? 
Yeah, I, I love that question. I always love ending podcasts with the same question as well. I do that on my own podcast, The Digital Public Square. Um, but, you know, one thing that's probably marked my relationship with Christ and my walk with Christ is I recently, and I would say this as one who studies ethics, you would naturally say, oh, I guess he's going to talk about ethics. But it's the relationship, I think, of theology and ethics. And mm -hmm. the reason I say that is we often focus, especially in kind of our corners of evangelicalism or Christianity, we focus on just having the right beliefs. Mm -hmm. As long as we have the right information, as long as we have the right beliefs, everything is going to, you know, everything kind of flows from that. And that's true in many ways, because what we believe affects what we do. But then also our habits and our patterns and the dispositions and our loves also form in many ways what we believe. And so I always talk about it as how our theology reveals our, our true ethic and our ethics reveal our true theology or we'll say our beliefs inform our actions and our actions inform our true beliefs. And they live mm -hmm. in this beautiful relationship. And I think that's really the summation of the Christian life is not only has God has spoken to us, how he's revealed himself to us theologically and scripturally, but then also how he calls us to live in light of that, which is really the nature of ethics. And seeing that relationship, I've, I've talked to my students a lot about this, and it's really amazing to watch the kind of the lights come on. They go, everything starts to kind of fit, make sense when you think of it in this kind of theology and ethics. So it's not just mm -hmm. having the right beliefs, but also modeling these beliefs and cultivating habits and dispositions and the, what we do in light of those truths. And mm -hmm. molding those two things together, it's just a, it's a beautiful depiction of how we're called to live in this world, regardless of the technological changes that come, no matter the challenges that we face in this life, is to not only believe the right things, but be the right type of people and how God's called us to, to live, uh, no matter the circumstances we face. Yeah, that's really good. Well, Jason, thank you so much. This has been a really, really just kind of a thought-provoking podcast, I feel like, and one that I think we all are just wrestling with. So our, to our listeners, we really want to encourage you to just check out Jason's book, Following Jesus in a Digital Age. Um, you can buy wherever you buy books. And also his podcast, he mentioned that, Digital Public Square. So that's something else you might want to check out. Jason, thanks again so much for being part of our Mark podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. You bet. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us. And Elizabeth and I will be back next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag marked podcast to connect with us you can also find lifeway women on all social media channels at lifeway women all of today's show notes will be posted at lifewaywomen.com slash podcast if you love the show leave an itunes review it's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast we'll see you next time